Sorry about that. Uh, we're in a series called Marriage Matters, and uh, we're going to be uh, just working through another passage this morning. Actually, last week, Pastor Britt spoke to us. He was not supposed to speak last week, and uh, I was supposed to speak two weeks in a row, and so this message may have gone a little bit better after the last one I, I preached two weeks ago. Um, but just to kind of remind us that marriage through Ephesians tells us that marriage is a great illustration of the gospel, Christ's love for us and how we respond to him in faith and in trust. And so then we are moving on now to this uh, passage, that, that marriage is also not only a great illustration, it's a great process, right? It's a great process. And this morning, we're going to see kind of two different processes, and really processes that we have a decision to make this morning of what our marriages will look like. We're going to see, first of all, the fall right? The process of the fall and how that affected this marriage, the first marriage. And then we're going to see the process of the gospel and how that can affect our marriages today. Um, there's a story told about uh, an African man who was a farmer and he had this land and he was farming it, but he had started hearing multiple stories throughout his nation about people who would go and, and this was kind of during the time where uh, the diamond surge was going on and so people would go and try to find diamonds. So he sold everything he had. He sold his land and he moved to where he thought these diamonds were. And so he spent all of the rest of his life looking for diamonds and he really found nothing. He lost everything. And eventually he, he literally killed himself by jumping in to a river and drowning. The story goes on a little bit later that the person who bought his land uh, was just a farmer, wasn't really interested in the diamond trade or anything like that, and he was cultivating his um, soil one day, and he found this big, ugly black rock, and so he put it up on a mantle, just it was kind of different, not really that pretty, and someone came to his house a, a few weeks later and was like, hey, do you know what that is? He said, it's just a big, ugly black rock. It's, it's just, I found it. I just got it out of my field. I thought it looked kind of neat. And he said, well, actually, under that rock is a diamond. And so as they cleaned it out and with the proper help and, and professionals working out, it was one of the biggest diamonds ever found in that area. And so often, that reminds me of our marriages. Often we look at our marriages and we can see all of the faults and all the failures Maybe we go on social media and it looks like everybody else has a perfect marriage. Why not mine? Or maybe we look at church and we see people and you're like, man, they seem perfect and their kids seem to act a certain way and my marriage isn't like that and my kids don't act that way. Or whatever, we can see it in our jobs, in our, in our uh, neighborhoods, wherever it is, and we can compare ourselves to other people and we can start to think there's something intrinsically wrong with my marriage or with my life that's different than other people. And often what we can do is we can think, well, if, if something would just change, if she would just do this, or he would be that way, or if God would just provide this amount of money, or this area, or a different job, whatever it is, then things would be better. But the reality is, is that in ourselves, we're all broken. And our marriages, without the help of God, will be broken. And even with the help of God, because we're still sinners until he takes us home to be with him, they're going to be broken to some degree. But this morning, I want us to, to find hope and a process whereby we can take our marriages from maybe when they are broken or where they are in a broken way, and God can, God can give them new life. He can breathe into new life into them. 
So I would just challenge us this morning and encourage us that our marriages may be broken, but they are not irreparable. With proper understanding, strength from God, and cultivation, they can become trophies of God's grace to us and the world around us. The reality is, though, in this message, we're going to start with some bad news. We're actually going to start with some really good thing, a goal that we want. But we're going to look at the fall process in marriage. What did this process of the fall look like? That's what uh, Ben read for us this morning, where sin came into the world. Well, the first part of the process looked really good, okay? We, we, at the end of chapter 2, it was perfect, right? We had the perfect marriage. If there was a marriage... If you could take a snapshot of a marriage at one point in history and say that's the perfect marriage, this would have been the one, right? And we, we see the perfect oneness that God creates. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. What does one flesh mean? One flesh is a completely new entity formed, yes, with two people, but they don't view themselves as two anymore. They view themselves as one. And let's be honest, that's incredibly hard for us, right? Because we are individuals. This is something that's very abnormal to us, and we're going to see it's abnormal to us mainly because of sin. We're going to see how sin breaks down this oneness. But this is a perfect illustration of what God intended marriage to be in the perfect world. And this is our goal. Next, it says, and they were both naked. And because we don't really want to talk about this in church because it's uncomfortable, right? And my wife asked me, she, she chose the music this week, and she's like, hey, what are you preaching on? And I told her, and she's like, huh, well, I'm not sure we're going to bring out a lot of that in our songs, but why does God put that in there, right? It's uncomfortable to talk about being naked in church. Why does God put that in there? Because naked represented something that we we struggle with today. But before sin, there was no struggle with. They were completely open with themselves and each other and God, right? There was nothing to, to, to feel bad about. There was nothing for them to even feel guilty or weird at all. Why? Because it says in the last part, the man and his wife were not ashamed. What does it mean to be ashamed? It means to have some form of emotional distress. That's what that word really means. It means that these two, this man and this woman, Adam and Eve, had no emotional stress ever or distress ever. They had nothing. They never felt weird. They never felt uncomfortable. They never felt upset. They never felt any sort of emotion that was negative. And it wasn't because they were, it wasn't just because, you know, that there was no one else around. It was because there was no sin so the, the reality is this is the goal as, as married believers. This is our goal to get back to, that we could be completely open with our spouse and our spouse open with us and have no shame, no emotional distress. Now, I'm just going to speak from my experience. It has nothing to do with my wife. This is me. Our marriage is not like that, right? We have emotional distress at times, right? Because we get frustrated with each other. We get angry with each other. We do things that are selfish. We do things, and, and sin is interesting. We do things that even not intentionally, but make the other person feel bad. Have you ever done that? Have you ever like made your husband or your wife feel bad and they come back and they kind of tell you like, oh, that was, that was kind of upsetting. And you're like, I didn't even mean it that way. But what is that? That's sin. Sin has come into the world and it's broken things. 
But here we have this perfect oneness that God provides, and it's, it's very short-lived. Very short-lived. So we move on into chapter 3, that there's a lie given. And this is the same lie that break down marriages every single day. It's the same lie. Now, we may not see it the same way, and thankfully we don't have like a snake coming up to us and talking to us. I think that would be very disheartening and cause a lot of emotional distress. But we don't have that, but it's the same lie. What is the lie? Let's see it here. In verse 4 and 5, it says, Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. What is, what is Satan tempt Eve and Adam with in, in these temptations? The reality is he wanted to tell them and for them to believe one thing, and that is sin won't hurt you. Right? So when we are faced with the temptation to sin against our spouse, whether directly or indirectly, or really to have any sin in our lives, it, the question or the temptation is not so much whether to do this or not do this, whether to say this or not say this, whether to think about this or not think about this. The real decision that we have to come down to is, do we believe this sin will hurt me? That's really what it comes down to. And we'll see another part, kind of the opposite side of that um, in a little bit. For God knows that in the day you eat of, your, eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The reality is when we don't believe that sin will hurt us, it's because we don't believe God. Because God already had told them, he said, don't eat of this tree. Because if you eat of this tree, you'll surely die. It's going to happen. So the question is, who are we going to believe this morning in our marriages when we're tempted to do the thing that might make us feel good or might make us happy or we think is going to bring some sort of pleasure to us, but God says it's sin and it will bring you hurt. It will destroy you. Who are we going to believe this morning? Are we going to believe Satan? Are we going to believe our flesh? Or are we going to believe the God who created us? That is what the lie that was given, and it's the lie that's given to us anytime we are tempted to do something wrong in our marriages that will hurt us. Then the next part, there's a lie believed, right? What does that look like in verse 6? So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Where did it break down? What made them believe? Yes, they didn't believe God, that it was going to hurt them, but two, they believed that it would bring them pleasure, that it would please them. And that's why these three words are used. Good, it means something that is pleasurable to you. Pleasant, same thing, and desirable, right? These were three things that made it look like this lie looked really good to them. They saw this fruit, and we don't know what fruit it is, and we could spend hours discussing who, what fruit you think it is, right? Probably the fruit you don't like very much. You're like, that's got to be that fruit that brought death on the world. All right, whatever it is. We don't know what the fruit is, but we know that it looked good. We know that it was going to taste good. You know that it was something that you're like, man, we all would want that. I just want to bite into it. And sin in our marriages is the same way. We believe it when we think it's going to bring us more pleasure than it's going to hurt us. But there's a, a very unfortunate reality to the end of this fall process that sin's curse was received. And it didn't take long. In verse, verse 7, Then the eyes of both of them were opened. Have you ever sinned against 
anyone, but specifically against your spouse. Maybe it's a harsh word, a sarcastic comment, a cutting remark. Maybe it was just a nasty look, and immediately you knew that hurt them. You like see it on their face. You see it in their posture. Maybe you see a tear kind of in their eye, whatever it might be. And this is, this is kind of how I think of this happening, that immediately then, right then, the eyes of both of them are open, and they knew that they were naked. So something that was completely open in their relationship completely changed. The goodness of no sin was gone, and sin had made its way in and completely taken over this world and their relationship, and we're going to see their relationship with God the eyes of both of them were open. They knew that there was sin. They knew there was wrong. They knew more than God wanted them to know because he wanted it for their own good to not even know about sin. But now they knew a lot of things. They knew good and they knew evil. And what did that lead to? They knew that they were naked. They knew that there was something wrong, that, that emotional distress that we talked about that they didn't have before, feeling of awkwardness or uncomfortable guilt, shame, fear, all those negative things that are in our lives, they came flying in. They knew they were naked. They couldn't just be open. Why? Because they were ashamed. Because there was sin there. So what did they do? They do what most of us do in our marriages when we know we're wrong, when we know we've messed up. They try to hide it, right? <laughs> they tried to hide it, so they th sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. If you find yourself hiding things from your spouse, something's wrong. Okay? Because that's a sinful response. We know we're sinners, so we're going to fail. But when we fail, what do we do? Well, we don't hide things. The Bible is very clear that when we hide things, they never get fixed spiritually. And eventually, they'll just come back up again, maybe in a different way, maybe in a bigger way, but they always come back because God doesn't want us to just hide things. That's something we do when we can't fix things, right? What do you do in your house when there's a, an item, a, something that you don't really want to get rid of, but it's broken? What do you do? You hide it away. Because you don't know how to fix it, so you're like, I don't know. Maybe I'll learn someday. Maybe I'll YouTube it. I'm just gonna, that's, what, that's not what we do with sin. If we have the gospel, we don't need to hide it away. So when you see yourself hiding things from your spouse in particular in this, in this context, that should be a red flag for us. That's part of sin's curse. Because if one relationship in our world that we should have nothing hidden from each other, it's in our marriages. But that is what comes natural when we have sin in our lives. And then it goes on in verse 9, Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? Remember, they used to walk with him in the cool of the day, and it was very normal, and there was nothing in between them. So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. Once again, that openness is no longer there. He has emotional distress. It's called fear right? And that fear was caused by what? It was caused by sin. In our marriages, the goal is to get back to verse 24 and 25 and to say, we don't need any fear in our marriage because we're open with each other and we don't hide things and we deal with things the way God's called us to. But with, when sin is taken over and when we believe sins lie and we stay in that, this is what our marriages are going to look like. 
And it's not only our relationship with our, our spouse, but it's our relationship with God. And they're, they're, they're mutual here. Because how their relationship with God went, their relationship with each other went. Notice, when they first started putting on clothes, God wasn't even there. I mean, we know he's always there, but he wasn't even there in their eyes. There was shame with each other because sin had, had cursed them and had affected every part of their marriage. And he said, who told, sorry, he, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? God knew what they had done, but he asked the question, why? Because God wanted them to start thinking what had happened, and he was going to give them the solution. So this is the process of the fall. And I know in, in our marriage, um, we've, we came to this realization at one point that we weren't perfect, and it probably came up pretty quick in our, in our marriage, right? It didn't probably take long probably before we were married, we knew that, that our relationship wasn't perfect and that sin was going to be an issue if we didn't deal with it the way God wanted us to. And so when you have sin, you have a choice to make. Either you dive further into that sin and cause more destruction, or we follow God's path. And so we have a process of the fall, and we see it here, and it's not something that's enjoyable to watch but something that is enjoyable to watch, and if we can believe in it, we can trust it, and we can live by it, is the gospel process used in our marriage. Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 6, it says, And you were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Among, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That is something that every one of our marriages could be described as, described at some point, right? Without God, with just our sin, we were children of wrath. How many marriages struggle with wrath and anger and frustration and annoyance, and we just don't get along, and we can't seem to agree on anything, and we're just frustrated, and we don't know what to do? God has an answer through his gospel, through his good news of Jesus Christ, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Yes, God saved us for eternity, but he also saved us to change everything about our lives. And that starts, or not just starts, but that's part of in our marriages as well. That God wants to change your marriage. He wants us to be different than what you were with, without him. That our marriages will look differently, and even a little bit later, we're going to see in the same book, one of the outworkings, one of the applications to God's working new life into us and making us new creatures because of what he accomplished on the cross and in his resurrection is marriage. He even uses it in just a couple chapters down the road. But what is this gospel process that we can follow in our marriages to see our marriages be better? Yes, for us but more glorifying to God in the way he intended all along. The first process, that spirit has to convict us of sin. You notice we, we kind of are going to flip this a little bit. So the end of the last process was that sin's curse is put on us, right? Sin's curse is received. 
But now we need to be convicted of sin because the reality is, is we are not convicted in ourselves. We need help. We don't even always see where we're wrong. John 16 verse 7 says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, meaning the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. The beginning of the gospel process in your life and in my life was one day the Spirit convicted us that we were sinners. And this is a great conviction. This is a, like, nobody wants to be convicted. That's not something everyone enjoys. But without this, we could never follow the rest of the process. And in our marriages, we need to get to the same place where we realize we're sinning. So often, like if you do any kind of marriage counseling uh, or talk to people about when they're struggling in their marriages and in our own marriages, it's come to the same realization. If we both don't understand that we sin or admit that we sin, we can never, we can never fix anything. There's no solution, right? If, you, if we're just like, I'm good and you're good and we just fight all the time, what, what kind of hope is there? So it's a blessing that the Spirit comes and convicts us of sin in salvation, but we also need to have open hearts and open minds to when the Spirit convicts us in our, in our marriages. When he says, hey, Dan, that was a really selfish thing for you to do. Hey, Dan, that was, I know you maybe didn't even mean it, but I think you just cut your wife down there. You weren't thoughtful. You weren't kind. You were thinking of yourself. You weren't thinking of you as one, you two as one. You were thinking of yourself there. We need to be open to the Spirit's conviction in our lives. How do we do that? One is by praying for it. God, my wife, I don't think she's happy. I'm sure it's me. I don't even know what I did. Would you show me where I failed her? Reach out to God and don't just do it after you did something wrong. Do it each day that, God, would you show me those areas of my life, those dark corners of my life that are selfish, that I care more about myself than I do her that I, I view myself as more important or my things that I enjoy doing more important than what she wants. We need to be willing to be sensitive to the Spirit's conviction in order to start this gospel process. Because without that, we can never go to the next step, which is the truth given, right? Satan brought a lie. Satan brought that lie to Adam and Eve, and he said, here, believe this lie. But the truth is given in the gospel, the good news that brings us hope and life and new life says, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The reality is the only solution to your marriage to truly be as God wants it to be is we need Jesus. If we try anything else, I'm not saying you can't ever like have a, a better marriage than before in other ways, but to truly transform our marriage to the way that God wants us to has to be through his power. That's the process. The truth is given that God, Jesus is the way to bring life. He is the way, the truth, the life. And some of us, we need life in our marriages, right? Our marriages maybe have become dull or we're, we're almost kind of like two people living life together, but we're kind of just separate and we're doing different things and we're living for different things. God doesn't want that. He wants us to be a union, a close oneness that's open and we're on the same page and we're going for the same thing to bring glory to him. And we can only do it through him. He is the way, the truth, and the life. The next step is, again, it's just the, it's the same thing, but exact opposite. 
Just like the lie was given and then believed, the truth is given and we need to believe the truth. The truth is simply this, Romans 10, 9, 11, with your mouth, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. The reality is the gospel process is the same thing we need to work through in our, in our marriages. So what do we do? In the first part, we saw that we need to be convicted of our sin. Then we need to see that we can't fix it ourselves. We need a Savior. Who is that Savior? He's Jesus. And then how do we respond? We confess what Jesus confesses. We believe in our hearts that God raised us from the dead, that you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Notice that word, same word, right? Will not be put to shame. That if you believe in Jesus, if you believe Jesus can fix your marriage and you say, I'm going to admit when I'm wrong. I'm going to admit when I'm a sinner in my marriage. I'm going to admit it to God and confess it to my, my spouse. And then I'm going to believe that Jesus can change me and can make this new. When we do that, God can start to make new life in our marriage. We continue in that process. And what is the end result? That God's grace is received. When we follow the gospel process, his grace is received. In Philippians, it tells us that we need to work out our salvation, right? What does that mean? This is what it means. Yes, you were saved once and for all. But how did you get there? The Spirit convicted you of sin. You knew you didn't deserve anything from God. You only deserve death. Jesus was presented to you in his offer of salvation. You accepted that by faith, and God's grace was received. And we can work this in any aspect or any, any way in our marriages, and I don't know what your marriage struggles with. We all have different struggles. But God can use this same process. And when his grace is received, what does that look like? Ephesians 1 verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ through salvation with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Have you ever felt inadequate as a spouse? If you haven't, your spouse probably has felt that way about you, right? No. Um, Right? We all are inadequate. There's times where husbands, where your wife is crying, or she's upset, or she's whatever, and you're just like, I, I want to fix this, but I can't. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. I may have even created this mess, and I don't know how to fix it. And we go back to verses like this, and we say, but Christ has blessed us with every spiritual blessing, what does that mean? It means that God's going to provide what you need to do what he's called you to do. And if you are married, he's called you to cultivate and, and to, to help your spouse be more like him. And so you may not know what that is right now, but God will give you that. He's giving you his grace to be able to meet the needs of your spouse that God's called you to meet. He's not going to leave you there saying, hey, I want you to do this, but I'm not going to give you the tools. That's not how God is. So when you feel inadequate, reach out to Christ. Tell him that you need his grace. He will give it to you. It may not be immediate. It may not even be something you notice. But God will give you what you need to, to, to help and cultivate the spouse that he's blessed you with. And what does that look like in the end? When we live out the graces of God that he gives to us, then we get back in a little further in Ephesians. And one of the outworkings of that is in our marriages. 
We talked about this two weeks ago. The two become one flesh. That's the goal. So you see, we started at the perfect marriage where the two were truly one flesh. They were at oneness. And he says, if you work through the gospel process, this is the goal. You can, you can get here. Maybe not perfectly, but you can start to see like little glimpses of what that looks like. This, this perfect oneness. In verse 33, however, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. This oneness is worked out in real life scenarios. It's not just like, oh yeah, we love each other, but in real life it doesn't. No, it affects everyday life. Our marriages are not immune from how we view the gospel. In fact, they're completely leaning on how we view the gospel. So the question this morning is, what process am I choosing? And I don't know what the sin is in your life or what the sin is uh, that you, you all struggle with as a couple. We all have th- certain areas, and whether we think we fixed one, there'll be another one that will come back, or that, one, that same one will come back, or another one will start because we're sinful people. And so this process is not just a one-time thing. This process is daily that we go to the gospel, we go to what Jesus has done, and we work through that process. What happens if we don't? We can go back to the fall, we can see what happens. What happens when we don't is, is our relationship with God starts to separate, starts to become more distant, starts to become, feel more numb to him, and the same thing happens in our marriages. When we don't deal with sin through the gospel, we have no hope, but we have hope in the good news of Jesus Christ. The amazing thing about the good news of Jesus Christ is that we don't have to do it because we've tried that and it doesn't work. But that God, who is rich in mercy, who is willing to save us, can come in with his grace and give us every tool that we need to be the right husband and to be the right wife, and we can accomplish the goal of being a couple in oneness with him. And you ask, well, where do you start, right? That's usually the hardest part of any process is where do you start? It reminds me of, uh, I enjoy doing some uh, like things around the house some projects around the house. And some of my less, I guess, handy friends, whatever, I don't know what you call them. They, they'll always be like, Dan, like, how did you know how to do that? Well, first of all, YouTube, okay? I'm just gonna tell you, you can learn a lot on YouTube. Second thing I've learned is that I don't know a lot about these things. But what I found in my, myself, for me, I, when I start a project, yes, I'll have a plan, I'll have a process, but I still am kind of like, I have a lot of questions in between. Like, uh, I mean, I kind of know they say do this and do that, but I don't really know what that means. You know what I found? Is if you swing your hammer through the first piece of drywall, you can't go back. You gotta start, right? So at some point, like, I can plan it, I can prepare, I can do everything, but at some point, you just gotta start. And I think in sometimes in our marriages, that's all it takes. We got to start somewhere. We got to start that conversation with our spouse. And we got to be open and honest. And sometimes uh, that can be a fun part. And sometimes that can be a painful part, right? Because normally things get worse before they get better in these types of situations. And so there's things you're going to have to talk about that are uncomfortable. Maybe it's confessing sin that you've been hiding. And that's uncomfortable, 
right? It's like knocking a wall down. And you, you're not going to expand. You're not going to get any bigger as a business until you knock this wall down. But when you knock it down, it's ugly at first, right? And there's dust and there's junk everywhere. And it looks like I have no idea how this is ever going to look like a beautiful room or a beautiful building again. In our marriages, I think it's very much the same way. Sometimes there's things we need to knock down, and it's ugly, and it's hard, but that's where that first step comes in, where the, the Spirit convicts us of sin, and we agree with Him. And we say, yeah, you're right. This is wrong, and I can't keep hiding it. I've got to tell her. I've got to tell him. And we start down that process, and we start following the process uh, with gospel, believing his words are true. So what God tells us to do in our marriage, we're going to do it. And he leads us to where his grace is given. And you may not feel that today, and you may not feel that in a week, and it may take months or years, but God will promise you, and if you believe his promises, he will never fail you. He will never let you down because he doesn't change. So if he said it in his word, you know he's good for it. You know there's hope, and there is a solution to anything you're struggling with today in your marriage. So today, I would just really challenge you what process are you following right now? Are you on the fall process? And you know the outward comes of that and it's not going well. Or are you on the gospel process? The great news is that this morning, maybe the Spirit's using his words and, and maybe he's impacting your life and you're ready on that first step of the Spirit's conviction. And it's, it feels really bad right now. It's kind of like knocking the first hole in the wall. And when you knock the first hole in the wall, sometimes you see things and you're like, oh, I didn't know there was going to be electricity in here, right? And it opens up some gruesome things, and you're like, oh, this is not good. That's uncomfortable. But we know that there's hope to come. Continue the process of the gospel in your life. And as we started with this morning, our marriages may be broken, but they are not irreparable. With the proper understanding, strength from God, and cultivation, they can become trophies of God's grace to us, and the world around us. I'd encourage you with that, and we take the next step in this great marriage process.